0: My name is Beck. I'm the co-host of the Not Superwoman podcast and I'm the great-granddaughter of Irish, American and Italian immigrants and I'm grateful to call Australia home. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners of this land of which the podcast was recorded and extend our respects to the elders past and present. I am in awe of their strength, of the world's oldest living culture and i'm grateful for the opportunity to share this podcast on their land. Welcome to this week's episode of Not Super Woman. I think you're super on this, the week of International Women's Day. I know, it's coming up this Friday and it is, it's, um, it's so nice to have this milestone day where we just get to reflect upon... Female community, achievement, successes, learning, listening, like all this sort of stuff. There's so many different events on. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I actually, I realised, I was like, oh my God, we should go and celebrate or do something. It does fall on the Labor Day long weekend. And I was like, oh. That's irritating. Yeah. but, (laughs) But I was like, oh my God, there is an array of options of incredible keynote speakers and events going on that just have these women that have made massive changes or been through so much and um you know it's 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 a, i just think it's a marvel a day that it is a marvel i love that word mm-hmm. and speaking of marvels yes my goodness we had an incredibly profound conversation with the two sisters foundation two sisters literally in life lisa bartus and ellie rogers uh, they created the foundation together and it's a foundation that they created to combat breast cancer and try and get it at the core and uh, raise funds to, to for cure, basically. And what I loved after chatting to them is
1: all the money that is raised goes directly to a scientific research team. They take no money as payment for anything. It all goes straight to
0: scientists. Yeah, because, I mean, their background, I guess, to explain the reason why the foundation sort of started is sadly, Ali was diagnosed with breast cancer a few years back. And then through that, they did genetic testing in the family and discovered the BRCA gene, which is the BRCA gene. Um, generally, the BRCA gene is um, a gene that produces proteins to help repair damaged DNA, but the BRCA gene can mutate. And if a mutation occurs, you have an increased chance by 45 to 85% for developing breast cancer in your lifetime, along with a 10 to 46% chance of ovarian cancer. And I think both when Ellie and Lisa were staring down the barrel of not only the realisation they were both carrying that gene, but it, it actually extended into their extended family because it can run through bloodlines. And then the scary statistics that one in seven women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime, one, and then one of those seven is expected to lose their fight with breast cancer under the age of 40.
1: Yeah, and these statistics are, you know, they're pretty shocking. And what I took from that conversation with, you know, chatting with Lisa and obviously Ali, but Lisa was saying that you have a choice. Like you have a choice to live a healthy lifestyle and all these choices that you make impact your life. Like we were talking, you know, she touched on, Alcohol, food, nutrition, wellbeing, it plays a huge part.
0: Mm, And I think um, putting our heads in the sand and thinking, oh, we're too stressed, too tired, we'll deal with it later. There are obviously reasons why illnesses and diagnoses occur beyond just lifestyle choice. And it can be hormonal levels, it can be many factors. I think the reality of the conversation was there's still an opportunity there to combat it with decisions to make your day-to-day um, living healthier so that then you've got a better opportunity later. Well, again, their mantra, knowledge is power,
1: mm, which yes. I love. And I love their energy and their the way they're united and they're like, we want to live the best life possible. Mm. Like just because you have a diagnosis like this or you're carrying that gene, mm. it shouldn't control your life and it shouldn't stop you living your life. Mm. And I think that's kind of what I've taken from it is the
0: essence for life. I know, and it, often these foundations start, and you don't really understand the background of why they started and who they are and where the the intention, the seed of the intention started, and the fact of realizing not only did they have to um, Lisa supported Ellie with breast cancer, but they also faced the decision which. A lot of the people that may carry the BRCA gene mutation um, have a decision, some tough decisions to make about preventative measures, and they decided to undergo a double mastectomy and a hysterectomy together. And then, even you know, sort of further back than that, like who who these two individual women are, and like you know, uh, Lisa. We were chatting to her. She's been heli... Uh, heli skiing guide,
1: which I loved. I was like, Lisa. I
0: know. <laughs> yeah, she was ski patrol. You know, she's
1: such an outdoor adventurer with such a zest for life. Like, mm. and then I guess Ellie, I was like, what does, you know, what has Ellie done? And she's she's got this huge background in film and, and television and mm. then went on to be... In fashion fashion and a stylist for print and media which it it just makes it all the more real these are women like you and me and and all of us who have had these great colorful lives doing all these different things and why should a diagnosis like this stop you living your life?
0: No, in your tracks. And and Lisa herself now has come full circle and um, outside of doing family stuff, she, she is a health coach and she, you know, a hence why- Might book a session. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I was like totally inspired by them both and um, uh, we're very excited to share the information and their story. So welcome to Lisa and Ellie. Welcome to this week's episode of Not Super Woman. We are very grateful to be sitting here with two incredible, incredible women, the two sisters that started the Two Sisters Foundation, Ellie Rogers and Lisa Bartis. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm like in awe of you both. You are incredible women that have gone out and created an amazing foundation to raise awareness on breast cancer and the BRCA gene mutation, and um, that's we we are very privileged to be sitting here talking to you today. So thank you so much. We've got Ellie. Zooming in from the USA and Lisa here in person, so we're we're juggling the um the international podcasting scene.
1: <laughs> we're so international.
0: <laughs> Welcome, Lisa and Ellie. Thank you. Thanks for coming. I uh, now I this all came about because I actually have a mutual friend of a family member of yours, and we were talking at a birth- her birthday party recently, and came. I knew I had. The honor of going to one of the winter balls um, hosted by and the Two Sisters Foundation, and knew of your work, and I was just in complete, as I said, like in awe of what you do and what you have both been through. It's incredibly profound. I can only imagine how challenging it's been. And so when I was talking to you, it was a great honour to have the opportunity to understand how it came about, how it started, but also you were a wealth of knowledge about breast cancer as well. Can you explain to me sort of what we chatted about at the party? Well, what we chatted about at the party was
2: more lifestyle factors, so not kind of in regards to um, a BRCA gene mutation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess we were kind of standing around at a party, um, having a drink. Um, And I kind of flagged to you and with a group of women that, you know, I was standing with that it is pretty much confirmed and common knowledge that alcohol consumption for women can increase your risk of getting breast cancer. Right. Um, And you were kind of like, why... Why do we not know about this Mm. and why is it not more out there and, you know, educating people? So I guess that's one of the reasons, you know, we wanted to chat today that there are a lot of lifestyle contributing factors that we can control Mm -hmm. as women um, outside of a BRCA gene mutation
0: And so we were talking about the lifestyle component about sort of how we live, what we consume can directly affect illnesses that can come on. Outside of um, lifestyle component, which you've explained, like the the way in which you live, what you consume can have a direct impact on, you know, possibly um, uh, illnesses. I I remember us talking about the fact that there are other um, direct sort of ways that you could possibly... Um, get breast cancer, which was hormones and then as one and then it was the BRCA gene mutation. Am I right or am I completely off track with that? Yes, yeah, so there's many contributing lifestyle factors that
2: can increase your risk of a breast cancer diagnosis, which is outside of having a BRCA gene mutation. Um, so lifestyle breast cancers are mainly um, a hormone-driven breast cancer. Right. Whereas a BRCA isn't. It's um, a triple negative, which I'll let Ellie dive into that part of it. Okay. Um, but there's lifestyle factors that can contribute. So, and one of those that we were discussing you know, at, at the party with yep. a drink in our hand was alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it is actually um, – we know that it does increase your chance. Um, so currently there is no safe level – of regular consumption within Australia or any guidelines that say that how much is going to contribute to it. But yeah. um, if you're having one to two standard drinks a day, that's definitely going to increase your risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and according to Australia, um, can- breast cancer. It's approximately 6% of breast cancer cases each year are due to alcohol. Right. Gosh, you just That's don't... alarming.
0: I know. It's just information that you don't really see on a day-to-day basis. And I think, to be honest, ignorance is bliss. I think a lot of people turn a blind eye to it because it's, it's maybe not on their radar or, you know, not something that they are willing to change, but it is such an astounding statistic. And it is something that you can control. It totally is.
2: And it was interesting. I spoke at a Pink Hope event um, recently and there was a questionnaire that went around that you filled out on your phone. And and they, they sort of said, you know, it's a safe space if everyone can really answer it honestly. And the topic was on alcohol consumption and there was one basically eighty five percent of the room were having at least between six and ten drinks a week of alcohol, and that was pretty much stock standard for most people that drink and mm, yeah. I mean your rate your chance of getting breast cancer drinking between six and ten drinks a week it it skyrockets and it's we're not we're not educating, I don't think, women enough about this.
0: Yes, well, I mean, exactly the reason why when I was talking to you, I was like, we need to talk on the podcast because it was just the information that you were sharing with me at that time was just, you know, just astounding and a reminder. And I, it actually came to me um, at a time when, and I was explaining to you and Zoe's aware, but I had three discovered three lumps myself and was like, oh, God, went to the GP. The GP was like, there are definitely three lumps there. You need to go have a mammogram. I went to go book in the mammogram and she, because I'm under 40, though, she had to check the Australian guidelines of whether or not I'd be entitled to a mammogram, even though I have three lumps, which I found bizarre. And then she sent, uh, then I went to call around to get into a mammogram and I couldn't get in for like... I a called, really long time. Yeah, it was like six weeks or something. And I was like, what? And so then I drove regionally to go to a regional mammogram facility to be able to have it done quicker. Um, but then even then they said, yes, there are three lumps there and it's looking like, you know, benign. But now you need to take that information back to your GP and then your GP will discuss the steps from there. And it was just sort of like, this is a really scary process when you are just going to appointment appointment and you don't quite know what's going on. And also, I was like, I had no idea what I was doing. And Mm. I'm like, I read on your website that one in seven women are diagnosed with breast cancer. And I I was like, how is this such a drawn out, unsure and um, sort of felt like a bit of a shaky process and to to no avail, like to still, I'm still going through that process because I'm waiting to go through to the breast specialist. But, um, and, and so that's why when I was talking to you, I was like, this has to come onto the podcast because the work that you're doing is so important. And then even understanding the BRCA gene mutation as well, but as well, Ellie, going to you, Lisa mentioned the triple negative. I don't quite understand what that is. Can you explain that? Um, so there's two types of cancer. One is hormone driven,
3: um, and the triple negative is not driven by hormones, um, I can't really go into scientific reasons why that is. I just know that um, BRCA mutations, which both Lisa and I have, um, it's more common to have non-hormone-driven cancers. Um, BRCA is a gene that every woman has that uh, is your defence against breast and ovarian cancer. So if you have a, a BRCA defect, you don't have any defences against either of those cancers, which is why your chance of getting breast or ovarian cancer goes up significantly. So if you have a BRCA gene mutation, I wish I had the facts here, but I I think one in four get Mm. breast cancer. Is it one in four, Lise? Yeah, it's one in four. So this this
1: leads to a question I actually haven't popped down, but um, I was thinking about in the car. So if you carry the BRCA gene, are you definitely going to develop
3: cancer later in life, or is it just a seventy percent a chance of developing breast cancer in your lifetime? Okay, so
1: then yeah. some people would
3: carry it, I guess not, and then if you have children,
1: they may still have cancer, like it's not just because your mother had it doesn't mean you'll have it.
3: correct, or your if grandmother we, had it. it like it's it's carried by both men and women, so In our family, the reason why I was the first one in generations that presented with breast cancer is because it was carried by our father, handed down by our father, and then before him by his father. So if it's in men, they just carry the the default, but they don't hand on the. Yes, so the gene. they They don't present with. Obviously, breast or ovarian, They can get breast cancer, but it's very low.
0: Very, uh, yeah. It's um, not as prevalent as women. So, um, the gene mutation does pass down family bloodlines.
3: The gene mutation is. It's a fifty percent chance that your child will have it if you carry the mutation. Right. But in saying that,
2: our whole family tested positive for it, and then through our experience, you know, and and sharing the knowledge that we've learnt, and other families have been. Tested and it's showing up in all the siblings
3: and the family more than as well. Percent.
2: Yeah, so it's yeah. way more. So for, yeah, it's it's really interesting.
3: That's our experience. Yeah. though. the science says it's a fifty-fifty chance Correct, of yeah. in the
2: gene. Wow,
1: mm. it's yeah, it's it's quite frightening actually. Um, Ellie, you've previously told the story in other interviews that your mum passed away. I think it was what probably nearly twenty years ago now, and you asked to get genetically tested, but they said no.
3: What, like, so how did that feel? The reason for, yeah, the reason for that was that she had a she did pass away from cancer, but she had a really rare form called pseudomyxoma, um, and that is not an inherited gene. So, when we went in to see if we were at risk after our mum passed away, they said her specific type of cancer was not an inherited cancer gene, and so there was no point for us to get tested. But little did we know our dad had a very inheritable gene on the other side. So it's a bit sort of ironic. We went in for for testing and, yeah, little did we know. If we did get the testing, we would have known, you know, 20 years before that we had a pretty dangerous gene.
0: Right. So, th- th- I mean, that's, I guess, the frightening, and I can't imagine how that feels for you both personally, um, knowing that you went in to have a preventative test and then it, it was uh was it how long after that you then ellie you yourself was diagnosed with breast cancer
3: about 15 years 15 years. so yeah look knowledge is power and it is great to know these things when you're younger because you can kind of prepare for the future but a part of me is happy i didn't have fifteen years in my twenties and early thirties, and making decisions on who I'd end up with and who I'd have babies with, and I just, you know, that was all ran its course. Whereas mm. if I had known earlier, maybe I would have rushed into having babies with the wrong person. Or so,
0: yeah, it's quite amazing when you think of it. Like I believe that. in early testing and knowing because
3: it, it would have prevented me having breast cancer. But a small part of me is happy that I didn't know.
0: Yes. Yeah. Of
3: course.
0: I, Think um, if I, had it, I I caught the
3: cancer early. If I'd caught it later, I would have. I wouldn't have made it. So it luck has it. I caught it early.
0: The purpose, I mean, from my research and from what I understand with the Two Sisters Foundation, is not only to raise breast cancer awareness, but BRCA gene mutation um, and ovarian. I know that there's a component and a percentage there that ties to um, ovarian cancer. Um, if you carry the BRCA gene mutation, there is an increase in likelihood you can get ovarian cancer. Now, that is to try and get the preventative testing more available to people? Is that the driver?
3: No, and there are foundations that are are focused on testing and um, awareness. Our main focus is um, research. So we just feel that if we fund research as much as we can we're sort of trying to get to the crux of the issue and you know stop cancer from ever occurring so you know it's really important that there's foundations out there that help women that already have cancer or help to try and get testing out to everyone um and a, yeah a lot of people are focused on what happens after you get cancer we we want to prevent it from happening
0: yeah well, a lot of Western medicine, I feel like, is designed that way it's a very um, treat treatment when sick rather than than looking into, as you put it, the crux of the issue and trying to look at the preventative measures from from it happening. But I know it takes a lot of science research and and in turn money um, to make that happen, which is why the foundation is a fabulous, a fabulous contributor to to that change or that shift. And so, If we run through, uh, I understand that, Ellie, you were confronted with the news that you had breast cancer and then you two combined as sisters and came together to, well, I'm sure you felt, you know, compelled to be there for Ellie being her sister, but then... You found out after that that you were carrying the BRCA gene mutation together is you both had did you both go in for the test together?
2: Um, well, no, first Ellie got her diagnosis and then, you know, we we're trying to figure it out why and how and they didn't think at the start, Elle, that it would be BRCA because there wasn't any other cases or known history within the family. So I don't think they tested you right away, did they?
3: I, I think you, you do, there's a there's five different um, things that you need to sort of um, present with or that you can present with that make them suspect BRCA, which is like age, um, family, history of any um, breast or ovarian cancer, um, Jewish background, Ashkenazi Jewish population it's very prevalent in, and um, and then yeah, the triple negative breast cancer which I had, so I did tick a few of those boxes. So, but the yeah, the family history it was nowhere in the family, so they they didn't think I was carrying the BRCA gene. But we did the test anyway because I presented with a few of those um, those signs, and then yeah, it came back positive. But you have and to then- wait. You have to wait. It
2: was like six
3: weeks. Six weeks. It was a long yeah, it was a long time. So we were and in And I wouldn't the test Lisa unless I was presented positive. So everyone else had to wait for my test to come back. And then, yeah, when it did, all of a sudden it went from this thing that was about me to... All of us. <laughs> the whole family, yeah. It was about the whole family all of a sudden.
2: So then, yeah,
1: Ellie and- was
3: going through chemo, we are in the chemo ward
2: um, and that's when we found out after that you were finishing up She was a positive, so then me and our dad went in to get our blood tests and get tested and then had to wait another six weeks for my test to come back. And then I think it's changed now, but you got your diagnosis in a room with a counsellor who supports you through your journey and I I remember just thinking, why am I going to this appointment to be told I don't carry it? You know, Uh, because you just... Oh, you
1: never think it's going to be you. You don't think,
2: you know, and... So I was sitting there with my husband and thought, oh, this is such a waste of time. And they said, oh, you know, you're positive. I was like, wow. Mm. Okay, now, as Ellie said, now we're all in. Yeah.
0: Um, and it, I have to back, back
3: this up as well. Lisa's four years older than me. Yeah. And back to lifestyle factors, Lisa's, like, I'm very healthy now, but back then I wasn't as healthy. And I, I think that Lisa probably avoided a cancer diagnosis because her health journey started so much earlier than mine so i really believe that you know you you really I oh, definitely it off, and
2: and all the top scientists and surgeons and everyone that i have been in contact with have said to me your lifestyle has kept you safe up until this age.
1: So when, when you say lifestyle and things and being healthy, do you mean through diet, exercise? Diet, exercise. Not really drinking.
2: Yeah, I don't really drink that much alcohol. I mean, not much at all anymore. Just I don't think I carry the gene to actually
1: <laughs> metabolise it. you've always it. been like that?
2: Um, yeah, for a really long time. Um, I think stress is a big yes. part of it mm. um, and I think we don't talk enough about sleep and good quality sleep and I think these are all things that I've really, really managed since becoming a mother mm. um, only to be the best version of myself to be able to give to everyone else. Um, so I just had to really rein it all in mm. um, and, and definitely all the top surgeons have said it kept you safe.
3: Yeah. And I was a party animal up until the day <laughs> I <was> like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and
3: now. I too am incredibly. You're amazing. Yep, and um, and don't really drink very much anymore. I mean, I have the occasional blowout, but mostly I don't drink anymore. My diet is very clean, and so exercise is a bit. When you otherwise.
0: both refer to um, a clean diet, what, what what does that look like to you?
2: Um, oh. basically. I think the best way to describe it is a whole food diet, which means nothing comes out of a packet. So right. it's clean produce, it's
0: Sinking. high, it's high <laughs> protein
2: because I think that's really important.
0: And then is, can I ask, you were both mums and um, um, in a way it was in an extremely unfortunate circumstance of being diagnosed. It was fortunate enough that you have been through Am I am I right in understanding you've been through the process of you've had you had both had children mm. mm-hmm. um so when at what what sort of occurred when you got the news you were carrying the um, BRCA gene mutation what happened after that point I mean Ellie you were in treatment when were you confronted with the idea of a double mastectomy and um and a uterus removal? Is that? Yeah, I had a full hysterectomy. Of-
3: hysterectomy, um, it. So I, it just wasn't a question for me. I didn't want any more children Uh and neither did Lace. And so, I don't know, people get so upset at the idea of losing boobs and uteruses, but I just felt that it had done, my uterus had done its job. It had two healthy babies, boobs. I don't know, we had the double mastectomies, but they got reconstructed. I mean, Lace had a really tough journey with the surgeries. I didn't, I, and I just I never felt really any different about that. I just actually felt safe. That's all I felt after the surgeries.
0: It must be just such an overpowering. It sort of feels like when you're confronted by mortality and the idea that, you know, there is something that is a threat to you and your family, there must be an overpowering thought that just overrides as you said like a safeness in knowing okay well I've got an option and I'm absolutely going to take that option
3: oh 100% I would never think twice about aesthetics when you're kind of looking at your kids thinking I wonder if I'm going to see them grow up or not you know I would have you know gone way further to preserve my health and longevity
1: but that's why I love the mantra knowledge is power Mm. like it gives you the power to make those decisions and take your health into your own hands
2: Mm. I, I I we have to. Yeah. We have to. I can't
0: imagine a, not
1: living mm, like that, like having that power.
0: Mm. Mm. And, I mean, Lisa, you went through um, a difficult time in your recovery of your double mastectomy. What, what sort of happened there? It was both, actually, um, you know, if I'm going to be really
2: honest. Um, so after I got my diagnosis, Ellie was finishing um, her chemo treatment and I when I was sitting in that counselor um, appointment with my husband, and I just said, just book me in straight away to have the hysterectomy because I'm old for this thing. Mm. I, I was 42, I think, at the time.
3: Right. Yeah, I think it's dangerous after you turn 40. Yeah. Like- so
2: I was just like, book me in. This is like a non negotiable. I've had my kids, you know, I have had the privilege to go through that process of being pregnant and had that journey, which I know is very different these days you know a lot of people have surrogacy and there's there's other options that you can still you know have your kids but I'd done all of that so two weeks later I had the hysterectomy Mm. um so through that I unfortunately got terrible infections all through my bowel and pelvis so it was quite a long recovery from that it it was only meant to be a couple of weeks um maybe a bit longer but um, yeah, I unfortunately just, you know, that was just bad luck. And then Ellie and I decided to do the double mastectomy together, which meant that the family only had to go through the experience once. We could share a hospital room, surgeon, painkillers. We kind of thought, you know, we'll <laughs> entertain ourselves and do it together in make light of the situation. Yeah, um, we did. Yeah, and we did. We did it really well, you know. (laughs) And I think, like, just listening to you (laughs) guys,
1: you do have a great sense of humour and I feel like you've kept that going.
0: Throughout what has been, yeah, I can only imagine very challenging. You've still, like, had that fun connection and, you know, the idea that you're sitting here now and sort of saying, oh, we got to sort of Netflix and chill, so to speak, after (laughs) a huge... (laughs) huge recovery process. I mean, what was the impact on your families during that time?
2: Um, well, my kids were old, a bit older than Ellie's. And so th- I was really open and honest. I mean, they they saw me go through everything. I got a lot of infections again, then from the double mastectomy, my incision lines kept opening. Um, and so, I mean, it was kind of, nightly trips to the emergency room and it went on for a long time it was 18 months of surgeries for me and and then one failed implant um on the right side just because it didn't take so they in the end after eight surgeries took the implant out to just give the cavity a rest from all the staff and all the infections and and it was then that I made the decision to just leave it out and my husband was just like I don't I can't watch you go through anymore. Like, let's just get our life back and yeah. move on. Um, so it was a big journey, but, you know, looking back at it now, it was just a snapshot in time, you know, and I think you learn so many lessons through that period where you're just kind of recovering and lying on the couch and, you know, for me it was – I really bonded with a cobweb on <laughs> on a cupboard that was really high that, you know, as – you know, why we're here, that we're not super women, but really at heart, we think we are able to do everything. And mm. I remember just looking at this cobweb for 18 months and thinking, you know, usually I just jump up on a ladder and clean it. Why? And it, and then it became like my best friend. You know, it was, just, <laughs> it was really entertaining that no one else had seen this massive cobweb over 18 months get bigger and bigger. And, you know, I just sort of, Waited until I was able to get back up on a ladder and move my arms how I desired to and
0: (laughs) get rid of that fucker, you know. That is just so – but isn't it it, funny that it's fascinating, the thought process, like, you know, that that uh, was almost like a, yeah, a spot in time where you were just – going through something and it was a, this sidelining focus of, you know, eventually when I get good, I'm going to get to that, even though no one else has in the whole family. Mm. <laughs> but oh.
2: it's, that,
1: it's that slowing down. Like I guess you were forced to do it.
2: Yeah, for me, it took, yeah, you slowed down but I think that there's two ways I think you can handle it is whatever situation you're in, you can make it your story and get really charged about it and blah, blah, blah. Or... I like to think of it and how I have learnt to go through something that's a challenging time, whatever that may be, whether it's you know a relationship or health, or it's just it's a it's a flow, you know. And if you think of the ocean and the waves and the tide, and you know, and as a kid, and you'd go and get dumped by a massive Aussie wave, and you know, it's it's rough and it's strong, and you can fight it. And try and, you know, get your way to the surface because I'm running out of air or you can just flow with it and you know that you will come up when that wave crashes or and Mm. brings you into the shore. So for me, it was just learning that is just, it's that tidal, Mm. you know, in and out and just go and with that flow and it will eventually end, Mm. whatever the situation is. so well said. And I think that's a really big lesson that I have taken out of this whole experience and you know, when you talk about superwomen not being superwomen or the sisterhood, it's it's sharing that and and things do change and shift and end and just to flow with it.
0: Yeah, that's such good advice. And my, my goodness, if there is ever two women that have tested the title of not being superwoman, I'm pretty sure it's you two.
1: But I feel like you're both kind of super. Yes, exactly.
2: <laughs>
0: well, we all are. We're women, right? I know. I do. Ellie, do you feel like you're – what was that process like going through treatment, having the surgeries, going through recovery? Did you have a takeaway from um, – and you would have, of course, but can you run us through oh, what – look,
3: I was a lot luckier than Lace. I um, I actually sort of breezed through it. Chemo was shocking, but my husband is like um, – I don't even know how to describe him. He's <laughs> he like is he's so, fiercely like, protective – Protective and a bit strong and organized and he's sort of like my sergeant. He just kind of like gets me like he sort of um, keeps everything moving. But I know like even before chemo, like he'd get me up and like make me do all exercises because he'd done all this research to say that, you know, if you exercise before you got chemo, like your blood flows better. And so the chemo will get into more. Cells of your body, so I just I felt honestly half dead outside doing like star jumps. <laughs> oh, my, oh my god!
0: <laughs>
2: I know. Wow. And He's then we like, had to walk on. you after chemo. He he was like, no, we. Yep. Would. She's got to go. It was literally like walking walk a dead dog on a collar. We would drag <laughs> oh, her down god. the street. He'd be like, keep so moving. Had- we got to keep going. <laughs> yep. More blood flow. And I
3: call, I call Mick and Lace to my Rottweilers because I'm like. <laughs> very crazy. And they're they're both such like strong, fierce, loyal guard dogs for me. So they were really dragging me around with chemo and just getting me all in order. So I just sort of, I actually used to go in and take like heavy sedatives and I said, just (laughs) knock me out and just wake me up when it's over. So I was just, you know, knocked out and they were sort of having to deal with everything. So that was um, probably harder on them than me because I just sort of slept through the whole thing. Um, And then when that was over, I had the mastectomy next and that, I mean, the operation was pretty horrible, but waking up in a bed next to Lee, like literally I went into surgery. I think we haven't flipped a coin over who was going in first. Mm. I ended up going into surgery, you know, the surgeon scrubbed up, did my operation, I don't know how long it was, wheeled me out and literally like as I got wheeled out, Wasted Lace was sort of Bank wheeled in. into the same surgeon. <laughs> wow. And then by the time she came out, I we were just so unwell, just feverish and looking at each other. We couldn't even talk to each other or reach each other, but we could sort of just see each other coming down off this operation. And then um, when we wake up, we were pretty high on drugs and, you know, we started laughing and it was just kind of this weird, crazy situation looking at our our new boobs and comparing and it sort of ended up being quite funny. And then one morning we woke up and we thought, yes, we're ready to go down the hallway and get a coffee. So we both got out of bed and we put our fresh dressing gowns on and we had our mastectomy bags sort of slung over our shoulders. (laughs) The drain bags (laughs) like (laughs) full of fluid. (laughs) Oh, Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It was, so was a, handbag, a, accessory. It's it's a, a reframe. <laughs> handbag. And we got to the door of our room and we I went to push the door open. I was like, oh and then I, I just didn't have the strength to get the door open. And I was like, Oh my god, I can't open it. You give it a go. <laughs> Please try to push it open she couldn't do it either oh because we're all dressed up and couldn't go I you're about
1: (laughs) to say it was locked and they'd locked you in (laughs) because you're naughty
3: we just weren't strong enough to open this door and we were just in these fits of laughter we're like we're up and ready and we just were hopeless we just couldn't even get out of our room so oh
0: my god it's astonishing to me that the two of you together like the stuff that we are confronted with as women that you and as you said before the sisterhood like bonding together through what is so much really trauma and being able to overcome it and fight through it and laugh through it together is just it's it's beautiful and it's a real credit to you both but not only your relationship but the um, ability that you've had to turn such a daunting and overwhelming circumstance into such a bonding and um, you know moment that you worked through together and you, you know, I'm sure in moments, you know, used each other's strengths when the other was down to 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 lift each other up or open that door. (laughs) Yes, Yeah. (laughs) To escape. (laughs) We
3: tried it together. Yeah. Um, yeah, So, look, all of that was, and then we moved into a hotel room together and sort of kept, I kept recovering and then that's when things turned a bit sour because my recovery was like pretty easy and straightforward and then Lise just got really sick and then I had to go back home to my kids. I still had little kids. They had no idea what was going on. So I sort of had to get it on a plane and go home and felt very guilty that Lisa was there, sort of still going through it. Um, and then, yeah, yours, God, yours went on for months Yeah, and mine months. went
2: on for a long time and then, I mean, and then my eldest son was 14 when he moved overseas for a year and, you know, so he left and I was you know, going through the surgeries and then he came back and I'd just finished my last surgery. and It was oh. when I'd had the implant out and so he was 15 at the time and I was sitting on his bed chatting with him while he was unpacking his, um, his bag and, and I lifted up my top and I didn't have a bra and I said, oh, you know, I lost an implant, this is what I look like now. And he said, no, mum, you didn't lose an implant, you gained one. <laughs> And I thought, Do you know what, if that's the only thing that we've taught our kids, you know, between mm-hmm. us is that don't pick a partner on because you love their legs or their boobs or, you know, that there has to be more depth than that, then that was a real gift to mm. me to go, wow, this is another amazing gift that has come out of this situation.
0: That's beautiful. You know, it's
2: really sharing that too is and honouring that, um, you know, to... Uh, the ongoing to that was well, mum. Really, you didn't have big boobs to begin with. So thanks for that. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, that's. I mean, a part of, I guess, what you may consider the silver lining that the, what you've passed down to the kids in understanding that life it's fragility, but also the relationship that you've managed to have together as sisters, the relationship you've had with your family and your partner, um, to to for them to witness that. Is only going to put them strength to strength in whatever what we all have battles in life. Whatever whatever they have to go through in their futures, they're in good stead because they learned so much through how you guys managed yourselves and you know how you got out the other side. Which is, I mean, and you know, with that being said, you went through all this process. At what point did your um, sense of we need to get more awareness out, and we need to to be able to do something about this throughout your recovery. And then afterwards, when did Two Sisters Foundation all the work that you started to do to raise awareness begin?
2: I think i'll start i'll I'll start by saying going back to Ellie's
0: Rottweiler husband, who um, is an
2: incredible um research man. So when Ellie was going through, Chemo, and he was just completely diligent. We had the best care, and knowledge, and people around us, and so he just he kept researching, 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 and until um, he stumbled across this scientist that we are now working with now, and he just kept cold calling this guy and leaving messages. Maybe it was for even a couple of months, and and finally Jeff answered his phone. And, and and Mick just talked his way into getting an appointment, and and we turn up like Ellie's still going through chemo. We're all an absolute mess, all three of us, and we're just sitting there like this, wanting <laughs> answers from this scientist. And he's like, "How did these three people, even, you know, I'm like I'm? How did they even get here, you know?" But Mick just
3: made it happen, and that's talked how way into the office. You, yeah, he yeah, <laughs> he way into the office, and um, yeah, he he had. He'd found out that this guy is the most knowledgeable researcher in the area of Braca in Australia. So he hounded him, hunted him down like a dog. Literally. And, yeah, went in and, and we did all sit there. We were all stunned mullets sort of trying to work out what BRCA is and what it means and and trying to get as much information as we could. And And as we left to say goodbye, I said to Jeff, you are going to love me one day. <laughs> Just... Mark my words, we're going to be best friends. And he looked at—he's—he's he's the most amazing, um, sincere man. And he was just looking at me, thinking, "This woman is crazy. Like, what is she talking about?" Chemo lady's gone nuts. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah the chemo lady's gone a bit nutty. And then the next year, we decided to host the first winter ball up at Mount Buller, which was um, super fun and very grassroots. We just wanted to. I guess, sort of share our story and raise some funding for this research team because we just thought the work they were doing was amazing. So, yeah, we started there. We did a, a winter ball up at Buller. We invited um, the, the sign. They came to that first winter Yeah, they ball. came yeah. up. To the, yeah, they came up. A black tie event in the snow. It was amazing. And they were there. And we showed a film that we'd shot um, on the topic of BRACA called The Night Side, which you can see on Vimeo. It's actually really amazing. Laces. Best friend Sophie Hexter, um, who's a filmmaker, made that. So that's definitely everyone worth needs to watch down.
0: that. It is mm. fantastic. Oh, it is beautiful, and I did cry, but it was it was tears <laughs> yeah, okay, of just okay, okay. yeah admiration and and did yeah, such a beautiful job. Yeah, it's very yeah, very emotional.
3: So we um, made that
2: film yeah. to then start raising funds and and to share, and that's how the Winter Ball started.
1: And so you still have a great relationship, obviously with. The scientists, um, that- the
3: scientists that you oh, hounded. We go in all the time. They take us through the labs. Like we all hug each other hello when we see each other. And they're just the greatest team. They're so humble and they're doing the most incredible work. And it's in the High, which has solved a lot of medical problems in the past. They're a really old establishment and... There's just teams working on all sorts of different cancers, but these guys are working on breast and ovarian cancer. Um, yeah, and Braca, and we just think what they're doing is amazing, and the progress they're making is is real. So we will continue to back them until we solve this issue, or they solve it. Mm.
0: So, with we that just being wanted- said, um, you just did the winter ball and started to raise awareness and also raise intern funds to contribute back to the relationship and the scientists that are working on this. Like, what are mm-hmm. some of the things that you've learned in going out and trying to start doing that? Like, have you had takeaways or milestones where you've um, learned a lot, learned what not to do, you know? Oh, all of the above,
1: yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we started from scratch. We didn't even know what a foundation was. We had to sort of learn what a foundation was, um, you know, technically how it works, how we can raise funds, who we can raise funds from, you know, how tax deductions work. It's, you know, we... Honestly, knew absolutely nothing, and and fundraising is not easy at all. But to date, we've raised over three and a half million dollars for that team. Yeah, that's insane,
0: amazing, and so they're pretty, and then they yeah. love you. Bear with me on the on the <laughs> ignorance. Yeah, technically, on this. our best friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, bear with my ignorance on this, and but like, when you do raise the funds, where like does it literally filtrate? Like, I know you've got to be able to pay for this. The, the the work that happens within the foundation and then the money infiltrates to directly or do you have to like does the government get involved or is it just no none of the fund with us
3: none of none of the funds we raise cover costs of the foundation a hundred percent of raised funds go to their team wow directly Lisa That's and so I our, we donate to the foundation and all of our time. And any sort of outsourcing that we need help with, Lise and I, that's our donation to the foundation. But any outside donations, a hundred percent go to the team, and that's really important to us. Yeah, that that's being
2: very aligned with our values, and and because we are on a timeline, you know, mm-hmm. this is urgent for us. Mm-hmm. We want to shut this down, and 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 the only way to do that is to work in that space of research. And get the answers
1: so genetic testing at the moment and say for you know next generations Mm. what's available now has that changed with who can who can go and get tested at what age you know what family history applies
3: in the us
2: you can in the us you can get tested you
3: can test a baby anyone yeah in australia you still have to jump through a lot of hoops to get testing and you still need to tick those boxes I talked about earlier,
1: and is it expensive? Um, like, does Medicare no, I, cover any of
3: it? Is it? Yeah, no, it, it is. Oh God, it was so long ago. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's covered. Yeah, it is, I think that's you the need thing. a GP it's referral, covered.
2: and you, and then you know, because you've got the history for us. Um, so, no, it was just a blood test. It was just you know, like going to Melbourne yeah. Pathology and getting a blood test, mm. um, and then waiting for the results to come back. So, it, it's a very simple test
1: which resonates with me, knowledge is power.
2: Mm, Absolutely.
1: But then ignorance can sometimes be bliss. I know that that's...
2: It's a fine line. You know, for us, you know, our kids will get tested and, you know, my boys have grown up knowing, they're like, well, great, you know, if we test positive then we have to have our kids through IVF, which means I have to spoof into a cup, you know, to have my kids. And I'm like, well, yeah, If when it comes to the business side of things, yes, you know, um, and...
0: It is what it is. It's like that short-term pain for long-term gain. I mean, the big picture of it all, but I can only imagine, especially I think in the film that you guys um, produced, it was just my tears were coming from not only the recovery part of the preventative surgeries that a lot of your family had gone through, but then also, and forgive me because I have, her name slips my mind, but the 25-year-old girl that was sort of Contemplating, you know, the fact Chala. that yeah, her future, and I just was like, God, that would just be such a weight to carry. Like, you um, you know that you've got to deal with a lot more than most, and and you know you've got to be strategic about your what your decisions are and your planning, and so that was super emo- emotional to watch that.
2: In saying that, though, um, there's uh, so Naomi's sister, yep um, there's another sister, you know, she tested. Positive as well, and since her diagnosis of testing positive for, for a BRCA gene mutation, she went on to have two kids recently through IVF. So, you know, they, they scan the eggs or the sperm, you know, whoever the carrier is, and and you can breed it out, um, which is fantastic, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, we medicine. can shut it down like that. So yeah. there are still preventative ways, even if you are a carrier.
1: And I think everyone's journey would be totally different because, you know, Mm -hmm. you might, I guess, decide to, you know, if you found out when you were, say, younger, like 18, you might say, okay, I'm not going to have the double mastectomy. I'm going to wait and monitor.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, like everyone would choose a different... Half.
2: Definitely. And, and one of the women in that film that you saw, um, Leandra, you know, she she had her twin girls through IVF mm-hmm. um, and she hasn't had the double mastectomy yet. She's still getting screened. Mm-hmm. So she's chosen that she's very connected with her breasts um, and hasn't had it yet. Mm. So I think she gets um, at least two scans a year, Elle. I remember. Well, I think I've, she was saying, yeah.
0: Yeah. I've, um, everyone's it, it's different for everyone about it. Mm. yeah it, yep. yep and so with the goals for two sisters foundation and raising awareness that the goal ultimate goal is for to make to get to the crux of it so it's um is that and then how what what's the stepping stones for you guys going forward with the foundation well, it's uh, will you be hosting another ball uh, like a year annual ball um and then how how do you further raise awareness and is it public speaking and events and so on we yeah we,
3: look we've got all different sorts of plans in the pipelines um and i think what we have to do is sort of just Work with the current situations of what what how the world's going and and what's going on, and we're so flexible with our fundraising, but we're so determined to keep it going and keep up the momentum with however that sort of rolls out over the next um, few years. And yeah, as long as the teams sort of keep doing their work, we'll keep doing our work. They've recently discovered, um, you know, how breast cells develop in puberty and they've won an award for that. And and after they've you know discovered how breast cells develop, then they'll focus in on which breast cells go awry when breast cancer develops. And then after that, they'll start trying to target these certain cells that they've found to prevent the breast cancer from occurring. So they've got these... Um, stepping stones that they're sort of following so you know their their journey's sort of very linear from you know start to finish on on how they're sort of working so if they if they keep going down that track we'll, we'll keep, keep fundraising them. like we have been.
2: And Two Sisters is very aligned with women's health in general so once we've sorted this out we will move on to other challenges.
0: Oh god I love it you guys just like there's so many avenues you could go down, but also <laughs> a such, such um, an amazing commitment. It's such a like what can feel, I'm sure, at times thankless and and long, long term. Not at all. Not at
2: all. We're no? completely we empowered it. by it.
0: We enjoy it. It. We we get to work
2: together. Yeah. And and everything we do has to be aligned with who we are. You know, with integrity and and our values and mm-hmm. our beliefs and and what works for our family and us and and that's where the empowerment comes from
1: I'm feeling like such a good spirit and vibe here there's a yes. good energy you guys have energy
2: that and it, and, it, so and, it, so. and it brings yeah. and it
1: spreads to everyone else and I think that's about what you oh, know it's thank uplifting you, Zoe. Yeah. yeah
2: no we we get excited we get excited
1: yeah, we honestly get excited. to wake and we're up both, and we're
3: both we're we're obsessed with um health and Um, and healthy living and more so longevity as we're getting older and we just we just sort of want to spread that around to everyone like we just feel so good we want everyone to feel good Mm.
2: and I and I I think maybe that comes with age but it's it's empowering women at any age from a tween until you know I remember being in Mecca recently and there was this 90 year old in there and And I started chatting to one of the sales assistants. She said, I'm next. I said, I know I saw you. She said, most people don't see me. And that's what we're about. We're about seeing every woman at every age and and honouring that space, that we're amazing.
1: Yeah, and you're here with your family, your friends, like this is your kind of journey, embrace it, own it.
0: Yeah. Live it. Yeah. You Lift know. each other up and yes. support each other yes. through it. Because yeah. I think we do face so many challenges and health challenges. I mean, humans do, but like particularly what we're talking about today, um, especially with the st- statistics that you've provided. Um, so with all of this, I mean, you're clearly you've gone through a lot, more than most people will in a lifetime. You've discovered a lot, more than most people will in a lifetime. How is this stuff all of what you've taken away and learned, how has it changed you beyond health? How did it change you, shift you from the call it, the naivety of not knowing, um, you know, that you were carrying the BRCA mutation and, you know, rolling through your 20s and 30s to now the woman that you are today? I think it's just made
3: me appreciate um, health and life and family not that I didn't already, but I just, once you know how on edge it can be, you just hone in on it so much more and and focus on the positives and let it sort of drive you further to be better and just, um, I think, just be stronger. And as you get older, be more knowledgeable and knowing that being a woman is so much more than like aesthetics it's there's a depth there when you sort of go through such a big journey
2: I I also think too it's we need to remember everything is choice too up to a certain extent you get to choose how you wake up and you know how you reframe something if you need to or what story you carry or it's all choice and and going back to those lifestyle you know decisions it's that's where the empowerment is, is you get to choose. Every time you make a decision, it's on you. Mm. And I think we need to own that and take responsibility for it. And through that comes, I think, this really incredible feminine, fierce energy mm. where, you know, you, you can be your own warrior woman, you know. Yeah, and you're, you're in control. You're, you're in, in control. control. Yes. And, and within being in control, you know, you can bounce out and, and have a binge and, and own that. But it's, it's then making the choice to, okay, that was a blowout and now I come back because I choose to, mm. you know. And, yes. and, and we know one in three cancer diagnoses can be prevented through lifestyle. Like we know it, 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 it's The facts. science is yeah. there. You know, look after your sleep and your stress levels. Don't smoke. Keep your alcohol consumption down. You know your weight. Um, it all it all matters, and it, and that's where the empowerment comes from. Is just going okay. I can chip away at this, or get evidence in this area that I've done that better, which means I might be able to make a little bit of a tweak or change in another area. And it's and the more you do that, I think the more empowerment you get, and you go, well, fuck yes,
3: fuck yes, I can own this. Mm. And that's where and I think doing it in a gentle way. I think, yeah. I think a lot of women are too hard on themselves and I mm. think we all sort of beat ourselves up a bit. But if you, you know, what Lisa's talking about, but being gentle with yourself and not... It's with self-love. Being, mm. With self-love, not being yeah. harsh on yourself or a self-hater and doing it yeah. out of it's not know, aesthetics yeah. or whatever. It's about the way you feel and...
0: And being truly aligned with yourself. Mm. I, it's, it's, it's so true. And it's funny because I know within myself I've literally, I've I've started to now I'm late thirties entering my forties and I'm like I need to take control of this situation now. I've let I've let um, babies and toddlers and motherhood overrun me to a certain extent, and and life and commitments outside of um, family, and and it. it if I, if you don't, as you said, if you don't take control, it will continue to overrun you. Well, and something's
2: it, got to give. We're women. Yeah. Something has to give and it's usually our health. You know, because we give, 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 as you said. You know, it's to the family or kids or the pregnancy or work and it's just like, they stop mm. and come at it. What, what do I need so I can be the best version of myself and look after everyone around me mm. that I choose to? Because we only have a certain amount of hours in a day and – and you get to choose again. I love you, that you said choose. It's, it is. It, you choose. Okay, I, I choose choice. to go out and play with my girlfriends. I know I'll be tired the next day and maybe not be the best mother I can be, but mm. it's choice, right? You own it and then you flow through that situation of tiredness or whatever it is. But it's, that's where I find it exciting. Yes. You know. I love that. Oh,
1: I feel at peace now. Ish. I need to implement all this stuff.
2: Yeah, But I will. I will. But it's, it, it's done with, with self-help. We've you know? all been through the baby Totally. Stage well, I'm not really in that anymore, so there's no excuse. <laughs> but you know what, like going back to what you said, like, you know, it, it, and it's coming at it from a, a softer perspective, you know, we have sixty to 90,000 thoughts a day, right? That is a lot of thoughts and and to choose the right ones to listen to mm. is pretty important and you want to make sure that they're really nice conversations you're actually having with yourself. And as Ellie said, you know, it's not coming at it from self-hate because that's a lot of noise in your head Mm. when it's coming from a negative spot. So it it really is that self-care and that self-love and going, okay, how can I support me?
0: Yes.
2: Not because I want to be skinny or this or that or younger or better or, you know, it's like stop. Yeah.
0: Be
3: your own money. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I, I love that. It's funny. We sort of started this journey together, talking about um, breast cancer um, and the BRCA gene mutation and what you've been through. And it's it's in most of the time when we're interviewing people who have uh, a really knowledge base or industry leaders or foundations or so on. They they teach us so much, and I find it fascinating that what ties back into the ultimate crux of what we're talking about is you know you've got um, illnesses and diagnosis and so on but at the very very pit of it all is you your choices taking care of yourself and you know and work your way up from there and and that everything that I'm learning through you both is um is that sort of feels like what it ultimately boils down to. We might not be carrying the BRCA gene mutation. We might not be um, at the moment confronted with a diagnosis. But at the end of the day, the decisions are: start taking care of yourself and making choices for yourself so that you can um, handle things the way in which you know you guys have managed to get through and out the other side of what you've faced. And I'm very grateful to have learnt and you know so much from you both. So oh, thanks for having us on. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you, Ali, from from staying up in the on the other side of the world in the USA, and and Felisa for, for joining and early. Yeah, <laughs> coming to our humble home studio to to um, have this beautiful chat. And well done to you both. I can't. We both can't wait to see. Where it goes to from here for Two Sisters Foundation and the research and the money and the awareness that you're raising. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Not Super Woman. You can find extra resources, links, and information on our website, which is notsuper-woman.com. Is that a dash or a hyphen? A dash is a hyphen, rash. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Um, And if you're enjoying what we're bringing, you can follow us on our socials and we're across all podcast platforms. So hit subscribe, guys.